When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks. With me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. Hey, John. How you doing? We also have a special guest in the room for our intro. Yeah, Tank. Tank, a.k.a. Brian Everidge, is a fireman in Edgewater, right? Edgewater, well, Florida. County. Yeah. Yeah. He came yeah. with us down here, and where are we? Yeah, this is our first internationally broadcast uh, podcast. Not that we're broadcasting in any way, shape, or form, but we're yeah, totally we're, broadcasting. we're hey, sitting... what do you have to say today? Uh, good surf, and uh, just sitting here. Well, hello to Logan, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry, buddy. So yeah, we are sitting here in the middle of the jungle in Bocas del Toro, Panama, on the island of Bastimentos, and uh, we are fortunate enough to be down here on a little surf trip, and um, Scott Balo, the owner and uh, purveyor of Red Frog Bungalows. Ma- I mean, I mean come on. Right? Yeah, Basically wh- wh- like the George Clooney of, you know, Bocas del Toro's. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and... Uh, Scott was nice enough to sit down with us and, and chat for an hour, and uh, he, he is going to give us all the info on how he discovered Bocas del Toro and, and kind of what led him down the road to opening up a business here and, and having the, the best surf resort in Panama. If anybody's going to put you on waves solidly around here consistently, he's going to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tr- trust your surf guide. That's the that's the motto for, uh, for the resort, and uh, he definitely uh, backs that up. But, um, yeah, Scott's got a great story about how he started this place, how he found it, how he used his mom's credit card to put a down payment for the property. I mean, it's just classic stuff. And a little snippet in there, too, about how he almost let Tom Curran drown body surfing at Silverbacks. I'm not going to go too much into that. But, yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great listen. So thanks for joining us. And uh, thank you to Scott for having us down here at Red Frog Bungalows. And uh, let's get into it. So I think uh, probably where we'll start is just, uh, I would say for myself, it's been maybe, maybe it was right before I met you out in Indo. Um, And for the record, uh, Scott and I got introduced by uh, mutual friend Pete Mendia. We're sitting in the lineup at Bank Vaults, and uh, he says, hey, a couple Florida boys, you, you know, and uh, introduces us, and about five minutes later, a rogue set wave came through, solid 15-footer, and we almost died. 
No and, kidding? Yeah. Oh, God. So that, that was how we met. Is that the picture that you showed me? That's right? the picture. Okay. Yeah, that's that picture of that massive closeout. Oh, my God. Broke five or six boards, a bunch of leashes. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. It was a nuts day. It's a good way to meet. Great, great way to meet somebody. Never forget it. <laughs> yeah, that was a crazy day. I mean, <laughs> it started out with a very large earthquake. I, I think about 4.30 in the morning. Yep. I remember um, that. Getting online and seeing if there was going to be a tsunami. There wasn't um, where I was staying at Playground Surf Resort. There was a, one of their boats got trapped under a tree. It was just this big swell. And then we come around the corner at Bank Vaults and it was just too big. We looked at everything else. And I think it took us about three or four hours just to even get in the water. And then finally in the afternoon, I think that's when, when I saw you. And yeah, yeah, just after midday. And uh, everything kind of settled down and cleaned up, and yeah, and, and then we almost down. died. <laughs> settled down and cleaned up. That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go paddle out now. And yeah, rogue set, four yeah. waves on the head, and I paddled back to the boat with my tail between my legs. So that was a, a great introduction. John. Yeah, yeah, spectacular. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> But I do, I can remember uh, after that, just uh, sticking that nugget in the back of my head of Bocas del Toro, you know, Panama. And I had heard of it once or twice, seen a photo here or there of it, but never had really, it had never really been on my list, to be honest, of, of places to go. And um, and Pete couldn't say enough good things about it. And then, you know, introduced me to you. And then, um, yeah, it's just, it's been in the works of trying to get down here since then. And um, unfortunately, you know, this weird time in history that we live with the pandemic and everything kind of delayed it, but here we are. Well, where, where are we? Yeah. We are in northern Panama, Caribbean side, uh, Bocas del Toro, and uh, it's uh, about 20 miles south of the border of Costa Rica. There's over 150 islands in the archipelago. Wow. And we're actually on Isla Bastimentos, okay. um, off of the coast uh, of the mainland of, of Bocas del Toro. Nice. So for me, like I said, it was right right before I met you. So just a little over three years ago that I first heard about it. When when and uh, how did you first hear about this little zone, and what what brought you down here? I started hearing about the zone from a friend of mine that I worked with in Hawaii. His name is Jay German, and. Uh, Old timer worked with him every day when I when I when I was living on Maui, and he had traveled here with his son. He started talking about it, and um, I decided to visit. And the strangest thing is when I decided to possibly purchase land, I found myself on top of an apartment in Panama City, speaking with this strange Colombian dude, and he was going to take me out to some island off the Pacific side to look at property. Hmm. And I realized what the hell am I doing? Like, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I looked at the Pacific side, um, didn't necessarily dislike it, but I didn't know if it really worked for what I wanted to do. And, um, went back to Maui where I was living and tried to find some other alternatives. Um, and then a friend of mine, Jay German, talked about Bocas del Toro. Hmm. Um, that kind of got the ball rolling. Caribbean side was more Hawaiian style with white sand, 
more tropical with coral reefs. Um, the Pacific side's a little bit more black sand, more river mouths. Um, equally as good, totally different would probably be the way to describe the two coasts. Okay. So, and what, what year would that have been? That was 2000. 2000. Okay. So, wow, gosh, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. It yeah. seems like a long time, but it seems really fast too. Yeah. Yeah. It's blowing right by, I bet. I, actually, it was funny because we were, uh, this afternoon we were, uh, we went down and tried the little point down there, COVID corner. And, uh, and I was saying to Brian, I was like, man, this looks like Hawaii with, cause like the black rock, it, it looks like lava a little bit. And just the features there, it looks like some little rock outcropping that you'd surf like on one of the islands there in Hawaii. Yeah, actually it's strangely enough, there's a fault line that apparently moves through the, or runs through the Bocas area. So this, this island actually has volcanic rock, whereas Bluff and the main Isla Cologne does not have any volcanic rock. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm not sure if that's true or not, but there's, it's all volcanic rock down in our corner and on the other corner of the, uh, the other corner of the beach, it's volcanic as well. So that's what I thought when I first got here, I, I got onto the beach there was a sign that said lots for sale. There was a phone number. I decided to call it and I got out to the beach and I said, you know, this, this might work because it was very similar to Hawaii. There's nobody on the beach. It was white sand. Um, very similar kind of makeup to yeah. where I was used to. Okay. So from that moment, you see, you, you come here, you hear about it from your friend, Jay, you come here, you look at it, you're like, yep, yep, this will work. You see the sign, you call the number. What's the time frame from you call the number to you're welcoming your first guest at Red Frog Bungalows? Wow, the time frame would have probably been about eight years. Um, it took me a while because um, I had this idea in my head. There was I traveled to an island off of the, the northern part of Sumatra, the Hinako Island chains in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And there was a gentleman out there. His name was Patrick. He was this Belgium guy. And he owned this resort on the island of Asu. He was the first person, um, along with some Australians, Stewie and Max, um, to actually have an establishment out there. And it was rustic. It was basic, but it was nice. And he was he was out to lunch. I mean, he was a, he was an interesting <laughs> character. And and I said to myself, if this guy could do it, you know, I have to be able to do it. Oh, nice. Um, and I worked in tourism in Hawaii. Um, I figured I had a good shot at trying to pull it off. And, um, you know, that's kind of what gave me the motivation, um, to start everything off. Um, there was a sign that said lots for sale. I called the sign or I called the number on the sign. And the gentleman told me for $2,000, I could put a cash deposit down on the property. Nice. Um, nice. I didn't have $2,000. I was, uh, I was, I was one paycheck as my dad would say, I was one check paycheck away from being homeless. Um, but, uh, my mom gave me the credit card and she said it's for emergency uses only. Oh, this is an emergency. Yeah. She didn't clarify. Yeah. It was definitely an emergency in my mind. I'm, I'm emergency uses only. So I went to the ATM. I took a cash advance four days in a row at $500 a day. And I put a $2,000 cash advance uh, or a down payment on the property. Nice. Yeah. Went nice. back to Maui, bought a book on how to write a business plan. And um, I found a few of my close friends to invest in, in the project. 
Okay, I was going to ask you that if if you did this all on your own or if you if you did have some investors. No, I have a, a lot of investors from Maui, and then um, another investor that I went to college with, um, his wife. Okay, and uh, a lot of them I actually played golf with every Wednesday, and they had to spend four hours in a cart with me, <laughs> pestering them about giving them giving me money to do this project. And yeah. I think they just buckled. It was just too much. <laughs> You're like, okay, you know, finally, just just take it. We'll give you the money. What do you need? What do you want? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all how did started. You, did you hit them up like each for a specific amount, or just like, hey, there's ten of you. I need you know X amount from each of you, or like. I was going in pretty blind to tell you the truth. I mean, I had an idea of what I wanted to build. Um, I had been going to Indonesia every year for two months a year for 15 years in a row um, in Bali. And so I had somebody that could do the freight forwarding. I had already created a business before importing stuff to Maui from, from Bali. Okay. Um, so I already had this business connection down there. So that was straightforward for me. Um, and I had already actually done a few containers um, of furniture and handicrafts into Maui from, from Bali. Oh, really? So I had that avenue already kind of set up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just decided to go the next realm. And, and I built the I, – I, I started out wanting to have three cabins um, or three bungalows. The, the ones that we have are called Jinangs. They're the Indonesian – traditional Indonesian rice barns. Mm-hmm. Um, but not really knowing what I was doing, I ended up having enough money for two. Um, okay. yeah. So I, I built them over there in Bali, um, took my time building them. They're all stainless steel nuts and bolts, deconstructed them, put them into a container and then shipped them over here to Panama. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. That, I was going to say like, as the, the first day when you picked us up, uh, over in Bogostown, we were coming through, it remind that a lot of the, um, the foliage reminds me of Indonesia. Like it has a lot of the same feel. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And then especially coming to your place, like the buildings, you know, they're built in Bali and then shipped over here. And, and so, yeah, it does. It feels very much like Indo. Yeah. Indonesia for me has just been a huge part of my life. I mean, uh, just growing up and, and, and wanting to be, in Hawaii and then after seeing images from Indonesia and friends had come back from faraway places not only Bali but in Sumatra and, and, and Java it was just one of those places I always wanted to travel to and I, and I religiously went there for every year for two months for 17 years in a row wow. um, and so it's been a, just a big part of my life I mean the, the culture, the artwork the the vibe, um, yeah. the surf. I mean, uh, yeah. it's just well, a spectacular. Then let me uh, ask you, why why not do this in Indo? Why what what made you pick Panama over Indo? Indonesia is just too far away. It was too far away from my family. It was hmm. too far away from um, what I'm accustomed to. I I love Indonesia. I, I, it's just the greatest place, um, one of the greatest places. But it was just too far away. Yeah. Um, that was that was the bottom line. I mean, when you when you show up in Indonesia, it feels extremely different. You know, the smell, the cigarettes, uh, the clove cigarettes, the yeah. people. Um, you you really do feel like you're in a in a faraway land, and you are. 
and coming into Panama, Central America, it just felt a little bit closer. It was just a little bit um, kind of easier to adjust to, to being down here as opposed to, to being so far away from the family and, and, and all my friends. And nice, nice, yeah. And uh, so before, you said you were working in Maui when uh, this all transpired, but where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born in a hospital in Fountain Valley. I was in Huntington Beach until 1979. Okay. Uh, my father was working for Sony at the time, and he was relocated up to San Francisco. Okay. Um, and my my family bought a, a house up there in 1979, and my dad's still up there um, to this day in oh, Saratoga, wow. Northern California. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and that's uh, I. It's funny how I, I got introduced to the ocean was, I was in a swim club in in Huntington Beach. And I found a wallet. I turned it in. The guy gave me $5 for turning in his wallet. And I bought a Moray boogie board in 1977. Nice. Um, one of those skinny ones. And I remember it was yeah. just always used to dig in. It knocked the wind out of me. It was like the <laughs> worst thing. But uh, that got me in- introduced to the ocean. And then um, you know, I started surfing when I was about 14 or 15 up in Northern California in okay. Santa Cruz. Nice, nice. So after, so okay, Santa Cruz was where you first started, and then um, f- did you go from there to Hawaii, or were you back down in Huntington Beach at all? No, I went. Yeah, I learned how to surf up in Santa Cruz, and then um, getting out of high school, there was a big decision to make. It was where do I go to college? Obviously, a lot of people make, you know, it's a big decision for a lot of people, and it was um, do I go to Colorado to go snowboarding? Or do I go to Santa Barbara to go surfing? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I chose Santa Barbara, obviously. Yeah. Um, a lot of my uh, best friends went up to uh, Colorado University, and they pursued, like, I'm a career in snowboarding and, and, uh, and skiing. But, yeah, I went to Santa Barbara, UCSB, um, graduated in 93, and then decided to pursue surfing on a, on a higher level because I, I – fairly competitive person and uh if you're gonna if you're gonna go big in surfing you, you better go to hawaii and that was the, the next kind of obvious obvious zone for me to explore and that's what took me to uh that's what took him to maui nice nice it's funny we uh yeah we were talking about this before a couple of days ago but um i grew up in florida and then same thing uh for me the next step was california so i also headed to santa barbara and went to Westmont, which is right down the road from UCSB, and uh, graduated in '94. So I probably I probably burned you at Rincon a few times. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah, also yeah. being a competitive person. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's that kind of a wave. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody gets burned all the, the time. You, yeah. you got to put the blinders right, on. You're going right. to serve con for sure. <laughs> but um, awesome. So okay, so we'll, we'll go back to the timeline. You, uh, you know, you you were. D- Running, you told me you were running a sailboat in Maui, and then uh, you, you, your buddy Jay kind of clues you into this place. You come out here, um, clearly an emergency. You use mom's credit card, put the down payment down, and you start formulating a plan for this place. And uh, you start going to Bali. You build the buildings. You bring you deconstruct them, put them in a container, bring them over here. Um, what, like in terms of setting up a business? Um, and setting up a way of life, like what was the biggest challenge that you found here in, in Bocas del Toro to 
starting your business and like carving out this little niche for yourself? That's, that's a good question. The, the, I mean, in the beginning, I just, you know, didn't really have a plan. You know, we had a plan. I knew kind of what I wanted to do, but being in this area, it was just difficult. Um, you know, building the place was difficult. The first thing I did is I cleared the property. I mean, when I first bought this property, it would rain and the entire place would be underwater. Oh, I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. Um, and so not having a lot of experience in construction, um, I ended up trading cases of beer and bottles of tequila for dirt from the project next door. Wow. So I got wind that they were exporting dirt for some reason. And um, I knew the engineer. So they would park, they would just dump endless dump, dump trucks of dirt on the property line. And yeah. for eight months, I would, with a wheelbarrow and four friends, um, wheelbarrow dirt in and backfill the property. Um, just pack it in, pack it in. And there were so many times where it would just start pouring rain. Everything would turn to mud and all of our dirt would disappear. And, uh, we finally figured out that we needed to backfill the property. So I had a friend that I met in Bocas town. He came out and we made our own concrete blocks. Um, underneath the house out here um, where you guys are staying, yeah. that used to be an open space. And we, we've now we've uh, walled it in, but that used to be all open down below. Okay. And that's where we made 1,600 concrete blocks, um, pressing cement, beach sand. And then we, uh, the same paths that you see now are all backfilled with the concrete, the original concrete blocks that we made. Hmm. And then we started making progress. And then all of a sudden... You know, if you don't have a road and it's muddy, you, you can't work. It's impossible. You're just going backwards. And so until we actually had some kind of infrastructure um, where we could actually build something and walk on something when it was raining, we really didn't get anywhere. So that was probably the biggest challenge is not understanding the environment. Um, it's very similar, I think, what a lot of people had to go through when they were building the Panama Canal. Um, you know, it was yeah. just endless rain and endless mud and until they had really good engineers that could actually kind of get over these hurdles, they didn't actually start moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so obviously this is a much smaller scale project, but we had the similar challenges with the mud and the rain. And, um, so once we got the pass in, we were pretty good to go. A lot of sand, a lot of dirt, a lot of rock. Um, and then getting the the houses over here because they, they came in a 40 foot container. Right. Um, and we're on a tropical Island in the middle of nowhere. So it was on a Sunday. I'll never forget. It was on a Sunday and, and we got this truck in and I knew the security next door and they allowed me to bring in with the ferry, our, our semi truck. They drove it on the property we uh, ran it down to the beach here on one of the roads they had. And then I hired 14 people of their staff to unload the container. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a crazy night. We had, uh, I brought out somebody to cook food. 
Um, we had generators running with lights in the jungle because we had to be out by Monday because they <laughs> oh, had wow. some kind of real estate tour. They're like, you guys, this is the security. You've got to be out by Monday. And we're yeah. like, oh, no, it's raining. I think we finished at like 2 in the morning. Wow. Stored all the wood for the property or for the houses underneath the same house you guys are at. Okay. Um, and then we got that thing out the next day. And I don't, I don't know if anybody got in trouble, but <laughs> I never heard about it. I think we pulled it off. Nice, yeah. nice. So the house that we're staying in, was that? did you build that house or was that already on the property? That is the first house ever built on Red Frog. Wow. Um, that was built about eight years probably before I got here. Okay. Um, yeah, it's the original house. Um, and the people that bought that house or the people that built that house um, had since moved on. And I was at the time I was caretaking that house. I've now purchased that property. Okay. But at the time I was caretaking um, that house. And so we used that as a stepping stone for really everything. I lived in that place with no power, um, you know, candles and kerosene and um, super rustic. But I was I was into it. I was like, yeah. I was 30. I, I didn't care. I wanted to make it happen. It was it was classic. Yeah, that's unreal. So what's uh, between that that property that you've now purchased and the property that Red Frog Bungalows now sits on? What's your total land area that you own? We have almost two acres. Okay. Yeah, and so what's great is we have the the this hill that's behind us. When I first bought the property, all the Indians are like, "Yeah, that's that's the best part up there on the hill. Um, more breeze, less bugs." Yeah. Um, but what I've come to know, like it's it's pretty amazing down here because. There's really not a lot of insects. Um, it's, uh, you know, that's the first and the most common question is, you know, how are the mosquitoes? And they're pretty, sure. pretty mellow down here. Um, so it's kind of nice. Um, we've got no stagnant water. Uh, we make sure that everything's off, uh, the, off the property. Everything's running. Um, but, yeah, that's a nice little spot up there. Yeah. Hey, the dogs just joined us. Oh, yeah. The dogs, the dogs are in the house. Yeah. Hey. So when you first uh, when you first came here um, and you're building all this and setting everything, you're living in you're caretaking that house, which you later ended up purchasing. Um, did you own a boat at that time? Had you bought a boat when you first came down here? I, I did buy a boat. It was like a 25 foot Ponga, little 50 horsepower. Um, I think it was a, actually a four stroke at that point in time. Yeah, I was I was stoked. That was like my first boat I ever, ever purchased. Rad. It was uh, I it's had like the freedom. universal boat, the Ponga. Like you see them all over the world. Anybody that's going on surf trips anywhere in the world, you're most likely riding in a Ponga somewhere. Yeah, it's it. I mean, it's it's just too easy. They're lightweight, um, easy to get around, easy to fix, easy to pull out of the water if you want. Um, yeah. Around here, they're yeah, just super. I mean, everybody has a ponga. You, yeah, it's like a bicycle. I, I can remember, and, and maybe you can shed some light on this, but I can remember talking to a guy in Nicaragua, saying that the Nicaraguan government, at at one point, I can't remember if it was like '60s or '70s, but they they brought these engineers in and they designed the ponga basically, and then they, their their federal government started just churning them out. And practically giving them away to people just as a way to maintain life. Like, have you ever heard that a similar story to that, or how that I, boat style came into existence? I, I haven't, um, but they're they're fascinating because there's so many different shapes. Um, you know, a real popular one around here, I believe it's Colombian, is Eduardo, and they've got a really deep hole. Um, 
you know, pongas usually don't surf very well. So yeah. you got to be careful in big seas. You know, they don't like to go down swell too well. They kind of dig one way or the other, and they can yeah. be a little sketchy. But um, they're just so versatile. I mean, they're fast. They're easy to fix. You can get into really shallow water. You can go basically anywhere with, with those things. I mean, every you, you have to have one. I mean, uh, Yeah, what's the draw on here. a ponga? It's like 12, 12 inches maybe? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can literally you can get... go in a puddle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome, awesome. So, okay, so cool. So you're you got your ponga, your first boat. You're building the camp. Um, and so, what year was it that you uh, you brought your first guest out, your first paying guest, and you thought, um, th- this is it. Like I've 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 got started now. Yeah, yeah. I was. I, yeah, it, man. It was rough back then. Uh, it was uh, 2008. Um, I believe is when we had our first guest and, uh, man, I look back on those days and, uh, I feel for those people. (laughs) It was, it was rough, you know, but we were excited, you know, and the enthusiasm, it's the same now as it was back then. We were super stoked and, and, uh, it was so great to have people. Um, and yeah, it was just rough. I mean, we've just learned so much along the, along the way. But we had power. You know, we had running water. Uh, we had our ponga. Uh, we knew where the waves were. We were just showing people around. That was, yeah, 2008, um, I believe, was the first season. We had some people before that. Uh, we did a trip. We did a classic. Our first pro trip was, uh, I think, for Surfer Magazine. And we had Billy Hume... Ben McBrien, uh, Sam Hammer, nice East Coast crew, Joe Carter, yeah, and Brian Nevins. It was like the yeah. Zoo York. I mean, yeah. these guys are all classic, you know. Yeah. And they showed up. We were excited. Yeah, we got this Surfer Magazine trip, and uh, they show up. And the day that they showed up, somebody had uh, somebody had drowned on the beach. So they right show up, up right out in front, right oh, out in no. front. They show up. There's like tape around the <laughs> oh, beach. And I'm like, oh, this is our first trip. you got to be <laughs> kidding me. And, uh, you know, no lights. We had just candlelight and kind of fairly warm beer probably. And But the boys were frothing. We scored huge silverbacks. Um, man, we had it was just a great – oh, Nick Giampa out of San Diego was, yeah. was on the trip as well. Um and it was classic. That was our first trip. I can't even, that must've been 2009. Um, yeah, that was all time. That kind of set the precedent. We we're like, well, it was rough, but we all had a good time. We scored huge waves and, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I think that was probably, um, besides, uh, some of the pros from Panama, that was the first international pro trip. Um, I could be wrong, but I think maybe one of the first ones to, to go down here in Bocas del Toro. Unreal. Unreal. Now, see what you could then when when they showed up and you you got the the tape and the dead body, you go, that's the last guy that cut me off. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> uh, it was a shocker. They're like, "What's going on?" I'm like, oh, "I don't know what's going on." Oh, there's wow. tape. There's police on the beach. You know, you guys will be fine. Don't worry yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, it's all good. It's totally safe out here. Yeah. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Like, oh. So at that time, like when when did anyone start surfing in Bocas del Toro? Like from a, from a historical standpoint, how long have people been surfing here? You know, it goes back a lot further than than when I got here. That's for sure. Um, one of the first locals out here, his name is Kinga. He's still around, great surfer. Um, he he was ripping back in the day. 
There's a guy named Soli um, from Florida. He was out. Um, obviously, some of the local boys, a guy named Bola out of Bostamento was one of the first local boys to be on it. Um, Martin, um, the first Nobe, uh, like local Indian surfer, uh, he was on it back in the day as well. He's still around. All those guys are still around. Um, you know, those guys were kind of the, the, the forefront. Um, and, and, and before a cookie and Ivan that owned uh, Tierra Verde. Yep. Those guys were here well before I was here. They still run a great operation over on Carnero. Yeah. Um, classic, classic brothers that do a great job over there. So, you know, I got here and, and um, a, another guy, Luis, um, that owns uh, with his wife, BB, BB's restaurant. So when I got here, there was definitely people surfing here. It wasn't as if I was even close to being the first one. Sure. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it was a little bit different than it is now. Uh, that's for sure. A few yeah. less people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that first, uh, the first pro trip you talked about was Surfer Magazine. Did you seek them out or did they seek you out? I think the, I think the guy's name is Chris Dixon, I believe. Yeah. Um, Chris Dixon, Dixon yeah. may have been the name. Um, I think he was working for a surfer at the time. Yep, yep. And then a friend of mine, his name is Timmy Shear. He, he owned Goofy Foot Surf School on Maui. And then an, one of my investors, Scott Beck. Um, somehow the trip came about through that circle. I can't okay. really remember. But, yeah, Chris Dixon was was one of the guys um, that was really instrumental in actually getting the whole whole trip planned out. Nice. Um, yeah, and then those boys came down. It was a, it was a, it was a spectacular trip. Uh, There's another Panamanian, um, thirteen-time champion, uh, Gary Saavedra, that helped out with that trip as well. Okay. Um, Gary's been super instrumental in, in surfing within the, the country of Panama for you know over two decades, and still is. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. And like from a from a um, national point. Does the country of Panama, are they supportive of surfing? At, do they recognize it as like a, a tourism draw? And um, are they open to it or is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the interest in surfing over the last 10 years has just grown. It's just it's just gone through the roof. I mean, there's, uh, there's national contests um, throughout the course of the season, throughout the course of the year. Uh, uh, Wampi Caraballo was the first national champion from Bocas a few Ooh. years back, so that was huge. Yeah. But uh, you know, Gary, a, a gentleman named uh, uh, his nickname is Pimply, um, <laughs> and Gary Saavedra, those guys are really um, some of the first to to get it on a national level. Uh, Pimply was the, I believe, the first touring pro. I want to say, and he competed over in Hawaii. Okay. Um, back in the late 80s, and he's still ripping to this day. Wow. Um, and then his cousin Gary is uh, Gary Saavedra, and he is the 13-time national champion. Wow. So they really brought a lot to uh, the competitive circuit here in, in Panama. They've continued to support the children and the entire scene, and it's just it's grown. I mean, it's, it's huge now. It's nothing like it was 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's really taken off, which is really good to see. Very cool. And you've really uh, you've definitely kept um, that kind of kind of connection with like the pro trips, um, and that's how I first heard about it. Is I I just kept seeing these pictures pop up of uh, guys like Yay Nickel and 
um, the Geiselman boys, you know, are from our hometown there in Florida and, um, Philippe Toledo and, uh, all these guys. And it, it kept saying Bocas del Toro Panama, Bocas del Toro Panama. And I just kept seeing these unreal shots of like either silverbacks or the bluff or, um, places like that. So you've kept a, a good connection. Yeah. Your website scares some people. The waves <laughs> are so hollow. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, I just have a hard time putting photos that aren't big and yeah, perfect on yeah. it. I, you know, it's like, you know, it's hard. And I've had that from um, some of the folks that book our trips. They're like, can you just tone down the photos a little bit? And I, I just have a hard time toning it down. I mean, focus uh, is we're just blessed. There's just there's world class waves around every corner. We've got a lot of waves in this in this area. And you know, certain times of the year are better than other times of the year, but um, there's everything, you know, from waves for, for beginners and, and longboarding uh, to obviously all the, the professionals. I mean, it goes from the biggest wave in, in the Caribbean, I'd have to say, is probably Silverbacks. It's definitely one of the heaviest waves in yeah. in the Caribbean, um, if not one of the, the most technical waves in the world. It's got to be up there. Um and there's just a lot of little nicks and crannies with smaller waves for everybody. It kind of, it, it, there's a lot for for everybody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can someone shut these fucking birds up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. We're in the dude. It's amazing. Jungle. We're we're doing our first podcast from the jungle, and I I gotta admit I love the the backdrop. It's fantastic. It's, it's great. Yeah. If a, if a monkey came and sat down next to me, that would just make my day. <laughs> Other than the monkey sitting next to me. <laughs> these these parrots leave for the day. And then they come back here for the evening. I like to roost in the trees? Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. So it's really loud this this time of the evening. Right. Yeah, all the, the right. parrots. Now, I got to ask you a question, too, because um, I was thought I thought about this earlier today. We drove out to Silverbacks, and it was small. It was, like, barely breaking. But, you know, we paddled out and caught a couple just to say we caught a couple. But um, there was a movie that Taylor Steele did uh, with Mick Fanning, and it shows him – up in the jungle somewhere like sitting on this hillside interacting with actual silverback gorillas and then they show them surfing silverbacks are there gorillas here <laughs> they're they're not gorillas here <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think so but i was like well there maybe. are there are but they may not look like your your average gorilla um <laughs> uh, with that that was a funny trip um what, did they stay here with you yeah they stayed in town but um i got a call from from Kelly Slater and he's like Scott I have some friends coming down um do you want to take them surfing I'm like oh all right yeah so he goes listen they're both regular foots and they surf really good that's all he said I was like that's all I said I'm like so I call him back I'm like Kelly come on man like who the hell is coming down you can't you can't be like that he goes okay it's Mick Fanning and Tom Kern. I said, "Ah, oh, yeah, they surf pretty good. They surf They're pretty both good. regular yeah. foot." So yeah, I'm like, yeah. "Oh, no way!" Yeah, Tom Kern. I grew up just idolizing Tom Kern and and Mick Fanning. You know, White Lightning is just crazy. I said, "No way!" This is just. I still get chills even thinking about the moment when when I was talking to Kelly and um, yeah. So the boys showed up and um. We surfed silverbacks, we surfed paunch, we surfed carnero. But one moment stands out the most is when I first met Tom Curran, he's like, Scott, do you think I could body surf silverbacks? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you're Tom Curran. 
<laughs> I'm sure you could pull it. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you say to Tom Curran? I mean, I mean yeah. he rides the he rides these boards and these fins, and I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Tom Curran. Yeah. And it was big. It was really big. And in the middle of the session, Tom Curran takes off his leash. A set's coming through. He takes off his leash. No fins. Starts swimming into a set wave. <laughs> trying to body surf it he catches it just gets obliterated like air (laughs) air mailed into the pit disappears for 15 or 20 minutes his board's gone i'm thinking tom kern has died on my watch (laughs) this this is no not me like this can't happen yeah and about 20 minutes later we see Classic Tom Curran walking on the beach yep. by himself, looking for his board. <laughs> we fi- he finally like works his way, gets his board, works his way through the reef, paddles out to the boat, and the first thing he says is, "Sorry, boys, for the field trip." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boys, for the field trip. I'm like, yep, Tom Curran, yeah. classic. There we go. Yeah, the guy's unreal. Yeah, yeah, and he. Uh, he, he continued to surf that wave, and then we scored some really, really memorable waves down the coast, and that was a great trip. That was one of the uh, – I mean, that was a, that was a really a, a special one for me, obviously, with Tom Kern and Mick Fanning. Sure, I mean, uh, sure. Two of the guys I obviously idolized, and uh, I was just that was a special, special week. Yeah, that was a uh, s- similar occurrence for me with those two guys, but in Santa Barbara. Um, I, had, I had finished college, I think it was 95 or 96 – and I was still living in Santa Barbara and um, just a good, solid, like, northwest well. And uh, I was surfing out at Rincon in the Cove. It's like eight foot and really, really classic Rincon. And both Kelly and Tom were out. And to, so I, just to watch them trade waves at eight foot Rincon, I'll never forget that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Unreal, yeah ex- those unreal. two guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was uh, watching them that that's what i really enjoy about having the professionals down here is that everybody else takes off here and they take off over there yeah you know and the difference in the level of surfing between the top six maybe 10 guys in the world and everybody else is just phenomenal yeah i mean they're world champions for a reason those guys are on another level it's just uh it's just mind-boggling to see top six and everybody else. Yeah. That's where it yeah. comes down to. Have uh, have, have uh, you ever had John John down here? Or has he been down here? No. I, I'm, uh, John John would be great to have down here. Um, his brother Nathan was down here. And he's like, oh, at Bluff. Bluff. Oh, you know, yeah. like, you know Bluff. We surf Bluff. Oh, yeah. It's a heavy wave. Oh, my brother would love this wave. He's like, this wind is perfect. You know, he'd just be launching. And I'm thinking, launching at Bluff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. It's John John. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he's going to launch he at would. Bluff. Yeah. Sure. He why would. not? Yeah. Epic, he'd yeah, take side off so- way yeah. over there. It gets super drained and then do it air and land on dry sand. Yeah, epic. He'll do it <laughs> and uh, stick it. Yeah. No, not a problem. Uh, unreal. Um, so in all of your uh, twenty years of being here, building the camp, running it, you know, hosting regular Joe schmucks like me and Kevin and <laughs> the world's best surfers, um, any any one particular moment that stands out in your mind. Um, as like the the hairiest moment, like whether it was on a trip or boat going down under you or whatever. Like what's what's your what's your your gnarliest story from uh, running you know twenty years of uh, life here? 
my gnarliest story went on for two months. It was three years ago, by far the worst three months in the last 20 years here, where whenever we have north swell, it just eats this beach away. Okay. And so when the citrus crops are freezing in Florida, when it's dropping below 30 degrees, and there's this high pressure that has sat off of the Azores, the Azor Islands mm-hmm. since the beginning of time, um, the Azor High. When the Azor High, for whatever reason, moves more to the west, it creates this shear line that literally runs from Nova Scotia all the way down the Atlantic seaboard, and it just funnels right into Bocas del Toro. Mm-hmm. And so we get straight north wind, straight north swell, and big. Um, our beach is literally eaten away within 36 hours. It goes wow. from 100 yards of sand in front of our beach to nothing. And it's okay with one of those. But three years ago, we had three of those storms. Um, we were losing the restaurant and we were losing it fast. The entire beachfront property was leaving us. Um, and uh, the first swell came in. We had surges. We were literally guiding trees through the restaurant onto the front property. Oh, just, oh. Uh, just, just watching these huge trunks go through, which we couldn't stop, but they were floating, so we're guiding them through. Um, and so that was the first thing. I mean, we got to the point where we were thinking about ripping up the granite ta- countertop at the beach bar. And what are we going to save? Because there's no way we can stop this ocean. Yeah. Um, we were living through every high and low tide. Every low tide, we were cool. Every high tide, we were in trouble. Um, we made it through the first one. The second one hit. And then... We were like, we have to start sandbagging. That's the only way we're going to save this place. Myself, Dave Lawson, Mike Gleason, my staff, Mikey, my girl, we filled 2,600 sandbags by hand. Oh. And we moved them multiple times. Wow. I have a photo of myself jumping headfirst into the ocean from the bar. Wow. Yeah, 2,600 sandbags. It was just it was just one of these years. I, I think I surfed maybe five or six times the entire season. Wow. It was it was a crazy, crazy time. And, I, you know, I'm, thank goodness we haven't had that happen. But that was that was by far yeah. nothing even comes close to yeah. that entire season was really hectic. Wow. Wow. You've got a plan now, basically. Like, you know, when you see that weather pattern. Yeah, we see that weather pattern and – there's also 2,600 sandbags still down there. Right. Oh, you know, nice. So we, you know, like, I don't know, you know, if they're, they're still there. I'm sure they are. But, um, yeah, we've got a plan. Um, we didn't know how to – I mean, we, there was this swell that was coming, and the numbers were just off the charts. And I was thinking there's no way this is possible. I mean, a, a big swell on, a, for, for an, on one of the sites, a big swell energy-wise is like 12 to 1,500. Um, they were calling – for 3,500 swell energy, which it, I've wow. never seen anything like it. And yeah. I, I literally had screw eyes. I tied down. They were climbing 60-mile-an-hour winds. Um, everybody's like, it's not going to happen. This is not going to – there's no way. Yeah, whatever. You're freaking out. I said, I don't think so. I'm not yeah. going to – you know, I'm going to trust this. And so I put screw eyes. I tied down all the roofs. 
Um, and this thing hit like four hours earlier than expected. It poured rain, 10 inches of rain overnight. And then the wind hit and trees were just falling like toothpicks because it was so moist and the ground was just so saturated that things are just falling all over the place. I had my dad in the front property. I had to evacuate all the, the uh, guests out to the front property. Wow. My dad's like 78. I want to help you. I'm like, stay in the house. You're not doing anything. Stay you know, alive. Like, That's stay alive. Help. I want to help. No, you can't stop it. Wow. You know, and I had to evacuate the neighbor's property and, um, they had a tree that fell on their house, mm. um, and, and almost destroyed their entire house. Um, yeah, that was, that was a, a hectic time. And Dave, and Mike, my surf guide, and my fu- they slept through the whole thing. <laughs> they showed up in the morning. Oh they showed God. up in the morning at six in the morning. Like, holy crap, the place is destroyed. I'm what, like, what'd you do, Scott? What, 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 where have you guys been? You know, like, thanks for the help. You know, yeah. it was mind boggling. Like, oh, how did wow. they sleep through it? Yeah, and then tree fell through this restaurant, destroyed all the solar. Um, oh, it's just hectic. And so then now I've I've gone through and eliminated a lot of those trees knowing that that had happened in the past sure um we just we just can't have anybody getting injured and it was just a huge financial burden it was just a lot of extra stress on you know we lost our our kitchen in the back here we had the kitchen still out in the front but oh it's just a hectic time in in the the history of the resort so now um obviously you've uh you've got some some uh fortitude to make it through stuff like that um Talk a little bit about what's what's this current situation been like with COVID and the pandemic and all that. Wow, I this is the COVID is you know the storm lasted for eight hours. Um, this thing's gone on for a while. You know, yeah. We're almost at a year now. Yeah. Um, this is a crazy storm. Um, you know, in the beginning we were very fortunate because COVID hit this area. Or I should say it started kind of uh, hitting everywhere in uh, beginning of March. Mm -hmm. Um, We had already had our season. You know, our season is really over in April. Right. Um, We do have a mini season that's got great surf in late June, July, and the beginning of August. But um, we were very fortunate. Um, A lot of those resorts in, in, in Central America, on the Pacific side, were coming into their high season. We just got through our high season. Right. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's tough for everybody. I mean, traveling is, is difficult. Um, there's just so many unknowns, uh, every week you're getting different information about travel, about guidelines, about protocol. I just have gotten to the point where I've almost tuned it out and just have stayed focused on our product and what we're doing. We're really fortunate that we're open Um, here in Bocas. Very proud of all the people that live in Bocas because they've worn their masks. Um, We've kept the numbers really low at the moment. I believe we have six cases in, in all of the entire Island chain. That's phenomenal. And that's really, we've had, under double digit cases for the last five months. So I don't know if it's the breeze that we have. We have a lot of uh, open space around here. We're not in a city. Um, There's a lot of airflow. You know, I don't know if anybody knows exactly what's going on with with COVID, but um, we're fortunate. We have low cases. We're open. We're surfing and just trying to get through it. I mean, I don't know. 
really what's going to happen, but uh, the waves are still pumping. You yeah. guys are here. We're yeah. stoked. Yeah, I mean, and I will will say, like, you know, we we, uh, initially looked at this trip uh, probably in, uh, I think it was November or something when I first contacted you, and um, uh, you did the the deal, the little two-for-one deal to, you know, kind of generate some revenue during the lockdown time, and and so we started talking about it then, but I can't, it's funny because Brian and Kevin and I, we all just kept saying... You know, it's probably not going to happen. Like, we're probably not going to get to go. And we'll, we'll just wait. And, and then a new round of information would come out. And we'd be like, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we bought the ticket. But probably not going to happen. But it really wasn't um, It wasn't difficult to get down here. It really wasn't. You know, you go, you take your test, you show it, and uh, you get on the plane and you fly down and you take a test and you go home. And so, yeah, it's uh, for anybody that's thinking about it, I mean – Gosh, come on down. The place is beautiful, and uh, Scott's done an amazing job with uh, the resort here, and he'll absolutely put you on the best waves. Uh, trust your surf guide. That's got that's a motto. That's your motto, right? Your motto of your yeah. I, your can't, I don't know here. how that came. Yeah, but that is that is it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean we 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 fa- we've been founded on social distancing. You know, yeah, we have a small resort. It's spread out. It's very private. We have low numbers. And um, that's really how we've been since day one. I mean, our occupancy max is 14 or 15 people. Yeah. We've got four units. Um, so it's very customer service oriented, uh, very personalized attention. You know, from the from the airport pickup to the drop off, we take care of everything. And, you know, I learned that through working in tourism in Hawaii and, and was really able to apply that to, to what we do out here which is, is I, I think, a great thing. I mean, people want to be taken care of, especially now. Um, there's yeah. just so many unknowns. They don't know really what's going on. And, and to, uh, to have somebody that's going to try and take care of everything along the way is, is a real added bonus, I think, for a lot of people these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, thanks so much for sitting down and, and chatting with us uh, for an hour and just telling us about how, uh, how this all came about. Um, I, I wish... This is one of the few times I wish that people could see where we're doing this. Like we're literally sitting in this beautiful Indonesian style hut. I have, I have photos. I oh, have that's photos. right. Kevin took some photos. We'll put them up. But yeah, like this has been unreal, and uh, the the week's been great, and and you absolutely have put us on great waves. And uh, so yeah, thanks uh, thanks for having us down. We appreciate it, and thanks for being on the show. And uh, any last uh, shout outs you want to give or info you want to pass along. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for coming on down. Uh, I want to thank all my staff. Uh, this whole place would not be possible without all my dedicated staff. I have my gardener and I have been working together for 15 years. Chato, you yeah, met Chato. Chato. He's the yeah. first person that ever took me surfing 22 years ago. No way. We've been working since that day. But he only um, looks like he's 22 years old. No, it's crazy. Yeah, they don't age around here. <laughs> This is the strangest thing ever. So nobody ages, but yeah, all the staff, I mean, everybody, um, you know, we've uh, all my cleaning staff, it's all family, my gardener, 14 years. Wow. Um, it's just been a a real amazing experience being surrounded by so many amazing Panamanians. And, um, you know, my mind works in a certain way, but when you're in a foreign country, you really need to adapt to, to every, everybody else's mentality and, and, in that culture. And, um, the staff is amazing around here. They, I couldn't have done anything with, without all of them. Um, and obviously with um, Dave and Ian are doing a, a hell of a job cooking, surf guiding, photos. Yeah. Um, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a group effort. 
a, a complete group effort. Nice. But um, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for for coming on down. Thanks for having me on podcast. Super oh, absolutely, psyched. absolutely. And um, I, I can't wait to take you guys out and just whoop you again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't wait, can't wait. Kevin, you want to add anything? Yeah, quick shout out to Ian Wilson Photography. Check him out on Instagram. He's doing all the photography down here, and it's it's some spectacular work, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah, it was funny because when we got here and we saw Ian, um, it turned out that he had attended the very first. Uh, photography workshop that we did at the Florida Surf Film Festival with Chris Burkhard, and he uh, he's based in the Keys, and, and Ian drove up from the Keys, which was like a six-hour drive, and uh, did that workshop. So yeah, we wow. got here, and we're like, oh wow, small wow. world, here Full you are circle. again, yeah, amazing. So awesome. Well, thanks again, Scott, and um, yeah, we'll look forward to coming back down. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been right. a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. I just want to say thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, man, it was great to talk to Scott and uh, just hear the story about how Red Frog Bungalows came into existence and uh, some of the adventures he's had uh, getting this place going, huh, Kevin? Yeah, I always love those stories. Um, you know, it's somebody who has ambition, intelligence. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like there's stick-to-itiveness, whatever you call persistence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm blown away by anybody who's managed to open a surf camp and keep it open and keep us happy because we have high standards. Absolutely. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I always enjoy doing these podcasts and, and hearing the stories uh, of how people either you know started their business like Scott or some crazy trip they went on or something like this. But um, I got to tell you, do, doing podcasts from the heart of the jungle in Panama, I, this is nice. I could get used to this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And as you may be able to hear, things are turning on in the background. Uh, we're about to, uh, you know, celebrate a good day of surfing and yeah. uh, call it into another great podcast. Yeah, the restaurant is firing up and uh, the drinks are starting to flow and I'm about to go whoop tank at pool again. There you go. <laughs> good deal. So anyways, yeah, just want to say thanks again for listening, and uh, thank you to our sponsors for the Florida Surf Film Festival. It's brought to you by Monster Energy. They're our presenting sponsor. Also, thank you to our apparel sponsor, Rourke, uh, Globe Footwear, Dragon Eyewear, Yeti, Advent Health, Atlantic Center for the Arts, the list goes on, the Surfer's Journal, we have Surfline.com. Yeah, Encyclopedia Surfing we uh, use for a resource, and thanks to Matt Warshaw. Go and check out his joint. Absolutely. So um, if you like the Florida Surf Film Festival, you like the podcast, then support those brands because they support us. Uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Living off the 